Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Guys, welcome to the show. This is Paradox, and I am Josh, and I am delighted to have Shauna Shanks on the show today. Shauna, thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. Shauna is a wife, mother, entrepreneur. She's a blogger and an author, and she is a designer of a pretty sweet house that we'll get to later. Her latest book, A Fierce Love, was out this past June 27th. Shauna, tell us about your book. So in 2013, my husband and I were a month shy of celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary, and he approached me and told me that he wanted a divorce. And um, this news completely took me off guard. And at the time, we had um, really small children. We had three boys. And, um, you know, apart from just the initial heartbreak of realizing that our almost decade-long marriage was going to be over— I, my mind started swirling about, you know, logistics even, like what about, you know, the kids and the house payment and where are we going to live and am I going to miss the kids when it's not my turn to have them, you know, thinking about all the things that divorce, you know, would happen when in in a divorce situation. Mm -hmm. So in my desperation that night, I just called out to God and I said, God, like, I need to get some sleep tonight so that I can, you know, be alert to take care of these kids the next day. Please just give me one thing to focus on. And that very first night that he asked me for a divorce, God gave me the words hope and endure, which um, took my mind to 1 Corinthians 13, because um, both of those words are in that passage. So if you're not familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter. So love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. And then at the end, it says that love always hopes and it perseveres. Um, and so the following weeks, my husband remained in the home because I had asked him to just kind of stay put for a little bit while I could figure out what we were going to do and what we were going to tell the kids. And um, so the book is really about kind of what happened after that of God walking me through First Corinthians 13 and what I end up calling the love filter um, of that passage. So if my actions and reactions to my husband in that season were not patient and kind and long-suffering and all the things in the scriptures, I was really challenged not to do them. Hmm. So that's where the book was born. And how did those verses really affect what you eventually ended up saying to Micah? As I said, I called it a love filter. So basically, you know, when when you're a woman <laughs> in this day and age, we grew up on Disney, right? And we have these um, preconceived conceived ideas about marriage, you know, um, that my Prince Charming is going to come. And, you know, a lot of my view on marriage was that it was for me, I guess, which is, I mean, obviously that's a really unhealthy way to look at marriage, but I'm just being honest at um, kind of the state, the state that I was in. And so um, 1 Corinthians 13, like, sounds like such simple things to do, right? Like, I'm, and I even told God when he took me down, like, God, I know how to love somebody. But two weeks after he asked me for a divorce, he told me that he was having an affair. And so um, I had already been establishing myself into practicing love as a discipline. 
So when it wasn't my natural instinct to be patient and to be kind and to be long-suffering and not to keep a record of wrong and not to be jealous and not to be rude, I really, really just felt challenged by the Lord that regardless of what He was doing, that God had tasked me with this love filter. So um, I had already been practicing this uh, when He told me that He was having an affair. Um, So because of that, I remember sitting on the couch when He told me that He was having an affair, and I kind of was redoing that verse in my mind, like, love is patient, Shauna, be patient, love is kind, be kind. And so I was able... Uh, because of studying those scriptures to react differently than I ever would have acted on my own strength. You mentioned, um, you know, that he came to you a couple of weeks later and admitted to the affair. Did knowing about the affair change anything for you? Well, I realized that the scriptures didn't change. So regardless of what he was doing, God was still wanting me to do those things, even regardless of the outcome of my marriage, right? Mm-hmm. That he still wanted me to um, follow his scriptures. But I think, you know, one of the hardest things was, you know, there are verses in the Bible that actually talk about taking your thoughts captive, kind of um, filtering what goes in and out of your mind, right? So there's a verse, Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. These scriptures brought so much life to me in that season because, um, when something traumatic like an affair happens, right, um, even regardless of the outcome of my marriage, his words to me could have destroyed me because he wasn't just saying, I don't love you, I want to be with someone else. He actually told me, um, I'm not attracted to you, I haven't been attracted to you for a really long time. Um, he told me very damaging things that could have, you know, really shaken my identity. Um, but because I had the Bible instructing me that I could take my cap- my thoughts captive, um, and I was just really challenged to not focus on that. You know, I think when women go through an affair, um, we have a tendency to want to um, rehash that over and over in our minds. So even though the affair, the act of the affair, only happened a few times, because um, we are still together. God has restored our marriage. But if I would replay those images and those thoughts in my mind and that the words that he spoke over me in that season over and over, they would still be happening, even if they're just sure. in my mind. So God would not be able to heal me. And so I think that um, these scriptures, they sound really restricting to people when I tell people what God had prompted me to do. But what they did was actually just liberated me because I realized that I didn't have to be a victim to what had happened to me because I have the ability um, through the Holy Spirit to redirect my thoughts and get my face in the Bible and, you know, um, start worshiping God and praising Him. And that would re- redirect my thinking um, to, to the things that the Bible says, you know? You know, you're, when you're describing this, the first thing that pops up in my head is that you simply applied Scripture, <laughs> right? Like it, like it shouldn't be that novel of an idea to apply and accept Scripture, that should be like a no-brainer for us. Why do you think it's so difficult for believers to do that? And I say that so many times in my book. I'm like, look, guys, like I feel like shouting it from the rooftops. Like, look, God right. is real, and what He said to do, we can do. It's like yep. it's almost like this love thing in First Corinthians 13. It's almost like He thought we could do it. You know, like why would He bother writing it down? But it was absolutely brand new information to me, and I think. Um, you know, a lot of times when you read First Corinthians 13, here's my, I guess here's my problem with it. I, as of most women probably listening to this, I have a problem 
was walking into Hobby Lobby because I want to give it all of my money and buy stuff, right? But like when you go in there, yeah, yeah. So you've probably seen like the cool distressed wooden signs that says love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it says like it has all of that on there. We like to take these scriptures and stamp them on distressed wood and put them on pillows and lay them on our bed and look at them and we become obsessed with them. But the minute somebody does something against us, we feel like, well, we don't have to do that anymore because you hurt me. But what I found was it wasn't so much you know, giving that to my husband because he deserved it, but because God said to, you know, God asked us to do that. And what I find out is that um, contrary to what our culture tells us, God is not afraid to ask us to do hard things. Mm-hmm. Even the redirecting our thoughts, which is what I'm ta- what I said, like he says to take the thoughts captive. That is literally like the hardest thing I've ever done. And I've raised over that verse um, nonchalantly my whole life not understanding what it meant until my mind was, you know, desperate to get me to focus on things that would have, you know, been for my destruction. Like if I would have focused on the affair and all of that, um, yes. it would have destroyed me. But but rerouting my thoughts and being like, no, I'm not going to think about that because God has tasked me to be whole. You know, as uh, pe- as believers, like we have a job to do and it's obedience. And sometimes it's just the simple things which is the hardest. <laughs> uh, in your press release, uh, you mentioned spiritual breadcrumbs that God left you. Uh, speak to that for a second. So the spiritual breadcrumbs was just such a surprise um, to me, and I have a whole chapter on it, um, because when God asks you to do um, hard things, right? Like, for me, this all came from, I became obsessed with the Old Testament and reading about the Israelites' journey, because God had told me to love my husband, right? But it just felt like, I was walking around in circles, like wandering around in the desert and getting nowhere because I was doing these things on a daily basis and forgiving him was, was the hardest thing I'd ever done, but I wasn't actually seeing any fruit from it. Like I wasn't seeing any life change um, or any you know benefit to the marriage yet. And so I thought like, he's just got me on a goose chase like those Israelites for 40 years and they're just wandering around in a circle. Um, and so I, that comes from um, the passage about the manna that God supplied them, because even though they weren't in their destination, they weren't in their Canaan land yet, he, they, we couldn't deny that he was sustaining them every day. I mean, every day they had to rejoice that, okay, we're not there yet, but we have this food that just falls out of the sky and it sustains us. And that keeps us going. And one of the things that, um, is, and, I, and I love this chapter, so I don't want to give any too much away, but uh, my husband had told me that he didn't love me, that he never loved me. And, um, you know, I talk about the process of taking my thoughts captive. And one way I did that was um, anytime I had idle time, I would just turn on praise and worship because that's an easy way to redirect your thoughts. Because if you're praising God, it's hard to remain frantic. You know, it's hard to remain depressed and it's hard to dwell on the bad things when you are uplifting a savior who created the universe and spins the planets, you know, when you're thinking about him, it's hard to focus and wallow. Right. So, um, every day, you know, when I was driving in the car, I would listen to praise and worship music. And one day I hopped in my car and it was a particularly bad day where I was really struggling with, you know, wallowing and wanting to focus on the affair and just being depressed. And I needed to take my thoughts captive. Right. So I got in my car and my cord was broken that I plugged into my iPhone And these are like first world problems, I know. 
But I just, um, it made me spiral out of control. And I was like, I can't take these thoughts captive anymore. I can't do this. This is my husband. I don't even know what he's doing. You know, like, this is just too hard. And I remembered something. Well, once upon a time, we can play CDs in our car. Our car is paid off. So we've had it for like over a decade. So it still had a CD player. So I thought, I wonder if I still have CDs in this console. And so I opened up the console um, and I found a CD in there that Micah had made me um, when we were dating. And it, on the CD, there was a love note on it. And it said, um, happy birthday, sweetheart. And on this CD, he had burned me worship music. And so I popped it in there and um, I got to listen to worship music that my husband had um, recorded for me even a decade before. And that did so much to my spirit that day just to get a love note from him. Um, when he was telling me, I've never loved you, I shouldn't have married you. And, you know, it was a mistake, like just to get it tangibly read that was just amazing. And I felt like God had this hidden away from me. Like it's been in my car this whole time. Right. And I never noticed it. And so it was just kind of like why I call it a breadcrumb is that God was saying, like, I'm going to keep providing for you every step of this journey. What I've asked you to do is hard, but it's not too hard. And so I thought, you know, I guess I can wander around in this desert with him for a little bit longer, as long as he keeps me alive here. <laughs> Let's say there's someone out there that, you know, has lost a loved one through death or, you know, even a, a spouse had an affair. You know, taking every cop thought captive and forgiving and knowing that there's hope, it almost sounds like we need to immediately move past hurt and, you know, accept and forgive and move on. Describe kind of the tension that you felt applying these scriptures, but also acknowledging the hurt and actually grieving. Yeah, and so that's why I think this love list was um, so freeing for me, because it gave me something to do, right? Because, um, and if you read the book, like, there's definitely moments of just sheer devastation and loss. Like, I don't glaze over that, because as I've said, even in this interview, it was the hardest thing that I ever had to do. But it was also this journey of discovering how much God loves me and how much hope there is when we, you know, when we get off social media and we, you know, get away from people who want to give us, you know, advice for a quick fix and just focus on Jesus, right? And get our face in the scriptures. Um, there's so much abundance there of um, telling us how we can deal with things and just getting fed from God's own hand just out of the Bible. And again, like this just sounds like 101, like we should be reading scripture, right? But um, the love filter for me was just, um, if I do nothing else today, like my task is I can be kind today. I can be patient today. I can speak the face of God today. And when we do that, he provides for us each step of the way. And, and obedience looks messy. It doesn't look perfect, you know, and he's definitely not afraid of our mess. And I think that it's a quest for obedience. It's not a perfect obedience. It's not that, you know, he gave me this love list and I did it perfectly every day by no means. And if you get the book, you'll see that. But I think it's just this quest of obedience and falling flat on our face, but still like reaching up to him and saying, like, I'm not perfect, but I'm really trying to do what you say. Yes. There's just something that connects us to our creator when we do that. And I think it's so pleasing to him. You've mentioned maintaining hope. You mentioned offhandedly this idea of forgiveness. What about trust? You know, what was your process of learning to trust your husband? Well, and that was just another thing that that was just another instance of God giving me exactly what I needed when I needed it because I was really struggling with that. There was one day that I thought, yeah, I don't know how. Um, you know, it's great that I can be patient and that I can be kind and not be rude today, but I don't know how I'll ever give that back to my husband. 
And I heard a pastor, um, I think I was listening to it online maybe, and he said a quote that I wrote down. He said, trust is not something you give because it is earned. It is an investment that you make in that person. And so it really changed my perception on, yes, my husband definitely does not deserve my trust. So if I'm looking at what he's done, he doesn't deserve it. But it is an investment that I'm choosing to make in him, which I didn't even do that until he was in a place where he was, you know, by then we were going to counseling and he was trying to make it work. Had he still been in the other relationship, obviously that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about once restoration kind of was set into motion. Um, So that's the context of this. Um, But, you know, anytime when you look at trust as an investment, you think anytime you make an investment, there's always risk. And so it's okay. um, It was what I felt like, you know, according to that quote, it's okay if there's risk. There's always going to be risk involved in an investment. So this is kind of like a gift that I was giving to him. Now, you wrote that forgiveness for Micah came absurdly easy. Why do you think it was easy to forgive? Well, in the context of, um, in the book, so I felt like this whole um, love filter journey that God had me on with my husband ended up being an object lesson, right, of God teaching me, okay, look, like you have been betrayed by your husband and you, and you are able, like through empowering me by the Holy Spirit, I was able to love him anyways, to be patient with him, to be kind, to be forgiving, to be long-suffering. And God was saying, I am just giving you a little taste in your heart of my great, enormous, all-encompassing love. And that was so life-changing for me because I realized that if I just being, you know, a mortal human could love him in this way, how much more does God love me? And so I feel when I say like I felt um, it felt absurdly easy to love my husband is because I felt like my heart was just inflamed with the holy love of God. Like I knew that came from him because I knew that I didn't have the capacity to love him in that manner after he had just had an affair. That's not human nature. So I knew that it wasn't from me at all. I knew that that was a divine intervention that God had said, I'm going to give you a taste of my love for him. So I felt like my ability to love him in that season came from God because he's, you know, God's heart was to change Micah's heart for him first. And so I think that when we get a taste of God's love for people, it's easier to love them because it's actually not ours at all. Powerful, powerful words. Real briefly, before we close today, tell me about this incredible shipping container home. Yeah, so we basically went from being restored from that and then going on this roller coaster with getting the book published, which was another crazy journey that God did for us, to um, we ended up purchasing some farmland and building a house out of shipping containers. So we have just been from one crazy season to the other. And um, my husband's dad is a contractor, and so he's been saying for years, um, hey, you should let me build you a house, and we should do it out of shipping containers. (laughs) Because um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dwell Magazine. So um, he has a lot of those where they do things like this. But the idea from shipping containers came from actually Hurricane Katrina, they were setting up emergency housing and like, um, you know, water systems for people like, you know, putting sinks and emergency restrooms and things like this. And so, well, of course, this attracts um, creative contractors because then it's kind of like from there, where can we push the envelope on this kind of thing? And um, so then it just became this huge thing of you can stack them, you can bury them, you, you know, they're steel, so they are indestructible, basically. And um, in theory, 
uh, they're supposed to make a lot of sense for contractors because the walls are already done. You know, there's actually wood floors in these containers that we bought, so we only had to refinish those. Um, and you can. And you just like cut out, yeah, cut out and make stairwells and. Yeah, we did all that. So um, I'm actually about to put a bunch of pictures online because we we moved in a few months ago when it was wasn't finished. Yeah, I was looking at your website and I couldn't find any kind of finish. Is it finished? It is almost completely done. We have a couple. We did pour a basement, so we have a couple mm. things that we need to tidy up down there. But I'm actually getting ready to overload my website with a bunch of pictures <laughs> because I think that people are going to be really surprised to see that it that looks way. like a home. <laughs> instead of just us living in a steel box. Like, it's that's really beautiful. He's done a great job. Huh. That's incredible. My wife might hate you for that, because now you have my mind thinking. But uh, <laughs> that's, that sounds fantastic. Shauna, you have been a delight. Um, if you want more information, and I mean, ultimately, affair, no affair, whatever you find yourself as far as a marital situation this book is about seeking Christ. It's about grieving. It's about acceptance, taking your thoughts. I mean, these are lessons all of us need. So definitely, no matter what relational situation you find yourself in, check out the book. Uh, you can find more information about A Fierce Love at shaunashanks.com. You can also find her on Facebook. It's Shauna Shanks Books. And then Instagram, just simply search Shauna Shanks. Shauna, thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks so much. She was fantastic. A few brief points before I let you guys go. I loved her idea, obviously the 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, but I loved her idea of the love filter, that she filtered, you know, everything, thoughts, emotions, relational interactions with her husband. She filtered everything through 1 Corinthians 13, trying to maintain hope, trying to, uh, to, to find and maintain endurance. You know, in doing this and taking every thought, you know, that is, it's such, you know, the book, it obviously does not describe the depth of her grief, or the book describes the depth of her grief that a 20-minute interview could not. And so know that that's, that's certainly a reality, that she was hurt so incredibly, incredibly bad. There's really no words to describe the depth of her injury, but she was still able to do it, right? Like we... We as believers, um, we like that she was saying, you know, you put Scripture up on the wall. We love the idea of Scripture, but we don't necessarily always love its application because it requires something of us. And this is a woman that was injured deeply, applied the Word, and found biblical contentment, found biblical joy, found a marriage, a healthy marriage afterwards. Uh, you can't say enough um, uh, good things about this book and her explanation of her journey, so hopefully it is able to help out some. And then real real quickly, before I end, the idea of trust is an investment. I always tell my clients that marriage is a covenant. It's different than any other relationship that you'll have on the face of the earth, that trust and forgiveness are given, they are not earned. And again, that's different than really any other relationship. And so the process of even if a husband, in this case, does not deserve the trust or forgiveness, that we have to make it anyways, that we have to make that investment is mind-numbingly important and difficult to do. I didn't have a chance to ask her about her community and how important that was, but if I had a million dollars, I probably wouldn't make this bet because I'd want to spend it on something, but I'd place it on the fact that her community was huge in this, that the people that were loving and supporting and praying for her 
um, were, were, were monumental. Guys, if you want more information about this episode, and we'll have the links to all the things that we talked about, it's paradoxpodcast.com. You can also find our social media the shows as well as myself and Jimmy, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find all that information at paradoxpodcast.com as well. I enjoyed it today and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. Because by the way, I'm a firm believer that shame is taught. I'm not sure shame is a natural occurrence. I think guilt is a natural, especially, if, you know, because we all have a moral core. Do you want me to argue with you? No. Okay. But I think shame possibly is taught. And so it leads to not only poor self-worth, but it leads to depression in a child. It leads to a lack of secure attachment because shame can be so painful and so hurtful and it's used like a weapon against a child. Then the child learns not to trust the parent, not to lean on and always count on the parent for emotional support. Therefore, the attachment doesn't happen when they're young.